This week on The Xander Effect, singer Ian Guerin comes by the show and talks about his music videos and what inspires him to write the music that he does. I also showcase his music video, Free Time. Also, I have a chance to interview former model and current comedian and actress and mom, Eugenia Kuzmina, as we talk about how she got started in the modeling industry and how it went from modeling to now comedy. All this plus this week in entertainment, sports, and video games starts right now. everyone welcome to the xander effect i'm your host xander dames in entertainment news the beef between nick cannon and eminem still continues and it, it, it basically what ended up happening was that nick cannon did res- uh, have a response for eminem's diss track uh diss track uh lord above um, where basically Eminem references uh, Nick Cannon's nuts being chopped off by Mariah Carey, who used to date Eminem early on in his career. And, of course, she ended up marrying uh, Nick Cannon and had a, uh, so, a children with him. And, you know, since the, they have been since divorced. But still, Nick Cannon took offense to Eminem uh, talking crap about his ex-wife, you know, the mother of his kids. So Nick Cannon decided to go on Power 106 uh, the very next day and basically say that Eminem is, you know, an old man, that he's in a walker, you know, talking mad shit about uh, Eminem, you know, after the diss track came out and the lyrics came out for the diss track. And, um, this week, what Nick ended up doing, this is, this is on Monday. Later on in the week, Emma, uh, Nick Cannon decided to come out with a, his own diss track, which basically was entitled, uh, Pray For Him or so- something to that effect. And <laughs> he declared himself winner on Twitter. Basically, he ended up saying, at Eminem, I won. This has been fun. Now back to your regularly scheduled program. Basically, Nick Cannon had declared himself the winner. Now, this garnered in a ratio of over 2,000 replies and just shy of 500 likes as of Friday. And since then, Twitter's been going crazy with, you know, they've they've actually looked at it and they have decided, a, a lot of Twitter followers have decided to roast Nick Cannon on Twitter with some tweets saying, saying, basically saying, uh, I've never, with a response saying, I've never heard anyone say, quote, uh, yo, put on some Nick Cannon, you ain't ever winning. This came from at uh, Portuguese. 
he bas- again, he said, he said, I've never heard anyone say, quote, yo, put on some Nick Cannon, end quote. You ain't ever going to win or you ain't ever winning. Another another retweet from at C. John Console says, stop, you're embarrassing our folks, bruh. With uh, with a meme, uh, you know, basically, uh, I don't know, pointing at the color of his skin, I'm, I'm assuming. Uh, and it says, you know who don't do that? With a question mark. And then there was another 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 tweet uh, by uh, at Lyrical Rap saying the real winner ha- was YouTube's dislike button. <laughs> pretty bad another one at silent d pro 1992 said nick come on man i'm not taking any sides here but this has gone way too far which i kind of agree myself you know two grown men you know that continue this fight is ridiculous and you know it's just the tweets just kept on going another one at yo charisma said dear slim i wrote you but you still ain't calling I mean, the tweets are pretty hardcore, and they are just bashing Nick Cannon right now uh, over what he what he declared declares as a victory for himself because Eminem didn't respond, didn't say anything. I'm sure Eminem will be responding in kind soon enough, but for right now, it seems that there is no response. Nick Cannon can continue to believe that he's the winner. But let's be realistic here. I mean, no one like like the first tweet said, no one's going to say, "Hey, let me go ahead and put on a Nick Cannon album or something." I mean, it's one of those things where where Nick Cannon is looking for ratings. He's been wanting Eminem to come on Wild and Out, and he just is begging for that for that um attention, that publicity because it does it does create for good controversy this type of rivalry. I mean, especially since Nick Cannon's not really he's a upset but he's not showing it he's more laughing about it although he clearly is upset at the words that Eminem spoke and you could even see it uh, in some footage of him being at Power 106 when he was talking. How he was—he was actually upset. You could see it in his face. You could see it in his body movement, um, in his body language, that he was actually upset at the things that Eminem uh, said about him and Mariah Carey, and you know, and pretty much questioning his manhood and everything else. So, this is a ten-year feud. Come on, guys. Time to let it go. That's just my opinion. In other entertainment news, I had the opportunity to interview an up-and-coming uh, musical artist by the name of Ian Guerin. And this 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 gentleman, he's got a great sound. I love a lot of his music. and But a lot of his music comes from heartbreak. Check it out. So on the Xander effect, I have singer-songwriter Ian Guerin. ¿Cómo estás? How are you, my friend? I'm doing great. I'm happy to be here on the show and so excited to talk about it. Nice, nice. Well, I'm excited to have you, man. You are an incredible singer. Um, I listened to a couple of your songs on YouTube. They are amazing. Uh, I got to say that you have, like, when I heard it, I pictured Michael Buble and Robin Thicke, like, kind of mixed, intermixed, you know, together. I mean, is that what you were going for or did that just, did that just organically happen? I think it just happened. It, it gotta come from somewhere. I think it's a, you know, my music is a mix of influences. And like other artists, I really like to highlight my influences because they've made me who I am. Uh, Michael Bublé is not someone that I regularly listen to, but I understand that we have the same color of voice and we have that same like kind of uh, 
boy man style, you know, in, in, in our in our attitudes. So I can understand how, how I'm relatable to him and he's a great artist, so it's it's an honor. But it, I just think it just happened naturally. I think if, if I was going for an influence that showed that would be like more of a Mariah Carey or Prince, that probably was more intentional than Michael Bublé. But things just turn out in a weird way when you're in the studio just making it happen, right? And no, I, it's a, yeah, yeah. No, go ahead, go ahead. What were you saying? And then it's, a, it's funny that you mentioned Michael Bublé because I remember when we were doing the photo shoot for the album and I, I, my, a friend of mine was shooting me and, and, and I was posing and he was like, remember, we're not Michael Jackson. And I thought he was going to say we're Ian Garen, but he went like, we're not Michael Jackson, we're Michael Bublé. So please <laughs> give me that look. <laughs> well, that works. That works because Michael Bublé is a uh, very awesome singer. Uh, so is Robin Thicke. I understand that you suffered breakups. You know, you yeah. suffered heartaches. <laughs> so yes. like, like many artists, you, 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 know, you went ahead and you took all those breakups and, and things like that and you put them into music, into lyrics. So did this, is Free Time one of those songs that you did that with? Yes, absolutely. I, I was going to say absolutely as, as Mr. Big on, on Sex and the City. Yeah, absolutely. It was one of those songs that just came about from a day that I was really having a nasty hard time. It, it, it's actually an old song because I, I wrote it back like in 2013 probably. And it just came about really simple. I was thinking about this girl that I, I was dating and um, I used, well, that I used to be dating because she dumped me by then. <laughs> and, uh, and. Uh, Here go the song. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and yeah, I, I remember she's, she like my neighbor. <clears throat> and uh, I remember thinking to myself, what, what is she doing now? I, well, and I thought, well, why, I don't know what she does with her free time, but here I am thinking about her. And that was just like, I was like, whoa, there's a song in there. And so uh, I, I started like thinking like, yeah, there's a song, there's a song. And, I, and all of a sudden I went like, I don't know what to do with your free time, but I think about you. And I actually meant that song for Charlie Wilson, you know, uh, R&B legend, Uncle Charlie Wilson. I love him. And uh, I actually meant to give it to him. So that's why you can hear uh, some of the, the vocal style of him. Cause I was trying to record it. Uh, like him so that I could pitch that song to him but it, it never came about till my sister said okay why don't you release it we waited for Uncle Charlie for a while now so uh, and my my sister actually wrote the video and directed it and she came uh, up with the idea of uh, you know putting the the lyrics and the the um the graffiti walls on on there and uh, and the walking scenes you know where I'm I'm looking for this girl that I actually come about uh, further in the video. So she actually came uh, up with that concept of which we shot in LA and it, it, it was a, it, it was it a really like cool experience. It looked like it was in Venice, right? No, we actually were in, uh, in West Hollywood and okay. Santa Monica. That's gonna be my second guess actually, it was gonna be West Hollywood. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, because I wanted to go to Venice, but they never took me. We we had all these things to do, and I was I, I was like, I always wanted to go to Venice Beach, and still till this day, I have never been to Venice Beach, and I've been to LA plenty of times, and I've never been, but I, I did want to go, especially because I knew that they uh they they shot that show Shorty and the Pipples, and I I know I'm drifting away from the from the theme of free time, but but you know I wanted to go see Shorty and the Pipples, you know. 
but we ne we never went there. But the video turned out great, and we had this scene which we cut out, <laughs> which I'm actually walking on Santa Monica Beach, and you can see me walking, and behind me comes a guy that's running in the beach, like shirtless, like this really adonic-looking guy running, you know, across the beach, like commercial-like, and he falls right flat on his face behind me. <laughs> it should have added that one. That would have been hilarious. <laughs> and we, we were thinking, <laughs> we were thinking, <coughs> sorry, I've been struggling with my voice. Uh, we were thinking about it, but, um, but we decided to cut it out. But it was a great experience, unlike the, the feeling that I, that I felt while writing free time. And I thought, but I also think that that's why, what makes it so relatable. People love that song because they can, they can find themselves in there. And I was reading a book the other day which said that a great love song has leaves a blank space for people to insert their own story and themselves into it so that they can relate. And I didn't do that on purpose, like planning, like, Oh, I'm going to write this great song and I'm going to leave that blank space. I never thought of that. I just wrote the thing that I wanted to write and then people have been inserting their stories into it and writing me like, oh, you know, I, I, I thought that too all the time. Like, what is my ex doing in their free time? Is he with another? Is she with another? Mm -hmm. And so it's been so relatable that I, I'm, I'm grateful for those uh, moments because they were learning experiences and they also gave me a great song. And well... I'm not giving her any of the royalties, so that's cool too. <laughs> I would hope not. <laughs> well, no, I mean, absolutely. Well, I mean, you, so from what I understand, a lot of your songs uh, are storytellers. They're pretty much just storytellers. Is it all like heartbreak storytelling, or are are you doing more than just that? Is it is it is it, <coughs> beyond, is it just life struggles in general? The type of storytelling that you're trying to you know bring across to the masses. Um, in this record specifically, I think it is about the heartbreak. It is about the growth of, of me because I, I made this album like to cleanse myself. I've always wanted, I've always been one for like uplifting music. That's why you can hear all the combinations of like uplifting beats with, um, with really, you know, melancholic or nostalgic or sad stories because I've never been one to listen to those heart-wrenching ballads where you can hear the violins and the singer is dying inside of it. I don't like that. I like something that, you know, tells a real story and uplifts you in the end. So that's the kind of songs that I wanted to make, but I wanted to cleanse myself in the process. So yeah, this album specifically, yes, it, it is all about the downfalls of love, but the, the rebirth of yourself as a person after love, it's like, Sort of like the share song where do you believe in life after love? Yes, I think that there is life after love. I was thinking and including a song that that was going to be called Life Doesn't End Up With An X. And, and I, I do believe that. And I wanted to share my stories and tell people like, you've been there, I've been there. And we're all going to survive. No one has died out of love. And in the end, you don't need the approval of a person to validate yourself. So that's what the, the message that I was trying to get across. So yeah, most of the stories are sad. I think that they're very country-like too, because I do love country music. And I think that, you know, the, the thing that I, I did in this album was mix like the R&B roots with the country storytelling, because it's very raw and it tells it just like it is. It doesn't have many metaphors or many cliches. It's just the stories in raw as they happen, like in country music. But it's all inserted into a, you know, an uplifting R&B beat. So it's a combination that 
many tell me you don't sound like anything that I've heard before. Well, that's and the I'm point. Like, <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, well, great. I love that. I love that because I'm not trying to be anybody else. But yeah, uh, what what I think that uh, uh, happened here is that I made a real album, so people have been uh, uh, related to that because they they want the real story. Sometimes when I'm sad and I'm listening to a story that sounds really crafted um, I'm, I, I don't feel it as much as if you have one or two songwriters just coming together to tell their story as it is and so that's what I'm what I'm all about in, in this record like in the irreplaceable track which I was hearing uh, moments before our talk I was hearing the title track of the album irreplaceable and I love it because it's so real I, 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 I don't even remember how I put together and people can can go stream it and, and hear that part in the second verse where I just remind all these girls of the list of things that I gave you, like the candy in your mailbox, the handbag on your birthday, blue roses in those records, the litter in the bottle, the serenade I brought you, just count them out, you know? Yeah, and, and, and from what I understand, from what I've seen also is that a lot of the songs that you did, you actually wrote and gave to your girlfriends at the time and they didn't even appreciate it according to what, yeah. to what you said. <laughs> I, I it's totally true but that happens you know I got a lot ever since I was in high school I, I always got that a lot and you know you, girls are always thinking there's this thing there's this thing like I, I've and I always ask my 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 girlfriends not like my lovers like my girlfriends I, I always ask them, why when a, why do you always think that a man did something wrong when they send you flowers can't you have a positive you know uh, outlook of that you know no they, you, they get flowers and the first thing they said oh this bastard just did something and he's trying to <laughs> yeah, and uh, why like it's wrong why? You like you can't like you get, it, it can't just because it can't be just a just because gift there has to be a hidden motive behind it <laughs> exactly yeah there has to be like a some sort of sorry agenda and so ever since i was in high school I remember all, all the girls that I gifted the songs. They, they were not the songs in this album. Uh, they were <coughs> songs uh, that I that I wrote, you know, from the from my you know back catalog or vault or whatever. Uh, but but I remember like gifting them the songs, and I really put my heart into them, and they never appreciated it. And, and I once I I asked a girl once, and she said, "Well, you know, it's a very simple gift because this is not hard for you." And, and so you're giving me something that's not hard for you to give. And I'm like, what? Like, <laughs> what are you saying? This is crazy. So what am I supposed to do? Like, I'm, I'm, I'm not a, I'm not a, uh, you know, like, I don't know. Like, I, I, I'm not something else. So I should be, I'm not a painter. So I should be giving you a painting because that takes me a lot of effort. So you, it's the challenge, not the, not the, not the gift. So that, yeah. That happened. This Ian, this songs in particular. Well, yeah, and, and I'm sorry to say this real quick, but it seems like your love life and my love life are actually very, very, very similar. Because <laughs> <laughs> I've had the same type of luck that you've had, man. And let me tell you, it doesn't get any easier the older you get. You know, it gets actually a lot harder. So. Well, that's encouraging. <laughs> <laughs> but 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 the only encouragement I can offer you is that you know how to, you know how, what's going to, you know the outcome. It's no longer a mystery of what's going to happen next. You know what's going to, you, you know what to expect. You know, the older you get the, in more relationships, 
like it's you know what to expect more and more a little bit <laughs> but you know at least you're not going to be as surprised anymore so that's that's you know that's the good thing and and with you i mean you're getting up there you're getting up there you're getting really high uh you're getting a lot of attention you will get a lot of attention from a lot of females you know they're going to love your music and i'm 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 positive that you know that's not going to be the case. So I'm sure that we'll probably end up listening to mu more music. That's a little bit more happier. <laughs> yeah. I I'm current. I'm currently writing a new song. I, I don't want to give it the title away. It's so good. I wish I, I just could, could say it right now, but I don't want to give it away, but it's so good. People, you know, everyone, it, it's an uplifting song and everyone is going to be in it because it's sort of, you know, leaving the past behind because that was the point of the record. Like I wanted to cleanse myself and now I'm ready to do like the happy, like the happy next stage of it, which I, I grew into this man that I really, really like. And so now that I'm happy, I'm comfortable in my own skin, I can achieve more things, both in the romantic scene and both in the professional side. So it, it's going to be great. <laughs> you, you were saying about your love life and I just, rem I got reminded, you know, like, and you said you, at least you know the path and I was like yeah like the, that Janet Jackson says that Janet Jackson song says uh painter curry and the seat all the wrongs that you put me through <laughs> that's what I thought about <laughs> well it's 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 awesome that you get influenced by a lot of these really great artists that are out there right now um one of your because I because I also listened to cry and that had a more of a soulful sound to it. <coughs> um and it, I just I also understand that <coughs> You know, because it seems that your songs also have a lot of soul in it. And one of one of the artists that you actually listen to is also Kirk Franklin. And I remember yes. listening, the first time I listened to Kirk Franklin, I was in high school actually, and he came out with Stomp. And then after that, Revolution. So yeah. I, I've listened to Kirk Franklin for many years now. I mean, he's an, he's an amazing, um, I wouldn't say that he's an artist because he doesn't really sing. He preaches while he sings, while the rest mm -hmm. of God's property sings. Or yeah. back then it was God's property and now it's just Kirk Franklin. But, you know, the point is that his music is very soulful. Obviously, it's very gospel. And is that something that you're also wanting to include in your albums as well? Kind of show a little bit of gospel, a little bit of soul into your music. Absolutely. Absolutely. Because I think that it that we were talking about uplifting. And I think that that's the most uplifting part of music. When you hear that choir just come together in any song it just puts you through the moment no matter what moment you're in so i wanted to include that in cry we have that it it, it didn't turn out a hundred percent as i wanted it because i wanted different types of singers in the vocals so that they would give the sound like a whole different vibe to to it in relation to the rest of the song but I think it turned out well and, and yes i definitely took that out of kirk franklin and out of uh the gospel sections in, in Mariah Carey's The Emancipation of Mimi when when she had like, it's just three background singers doing all the vocals, but they sound so so embracing. I love that feeling. So yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm wanting to include that more in future recordings. Of course, I love it. And my, my dad is like such a, 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 a how can I say this? Uh, he 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 doesn't believe in any uh, in 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 any of of the things that include that are included in like Christian gospel or or any of those regards. But and do he's you come like, from a, do you come from a musical family? I mean, like how how was that upbringing like? 
uh, he's uh, I come from my dad is very is very uh, musical. He he's a uh, uh, um, a mu- mu- how do you call him like a music like a, this like crazy music fan. He's a rock uh, a rock culture guy. He he loves any sort of music. Like he's into electro now and everything. But he he always used to tell me like why are you listening to Christian gospel? And I just, I remember saying, you know, it it uplifts it uplifts me. I I love the words. I love how it sounds, and I just like feel I I relax into it. So yeah, I I love that influence. But I wouldn't say it's a musical family because no one does music aside from me and my cousin. But we're the same generation. Like the generations behind us did not do music. So. So, did, so, so, when, so when you went ahead and told your family, I'm going to be an R&B singer, I'm going to be a pop star, all these things, what was their reaction to this? I mean, did they want you, I mean, did you like, because I, I also understand that you're also a college dropout, you know? Yeah. Um, <laughs> you know? So I'm sure that, you know, they had- And a proud to, one. <laughs> and I'm sure they had something to say about that. I mean, what was that situation <clears throat> like with your family when you said, hey, I'm going to become- what I want to be. I mean, were they, was it, a, they, they support your decision or how did that go? They did. They did support my, especially my mother. Like my mom wanted me to go to college and she wanted me to be like a high end, um, like a, a big company executive as she was. Uh, but I, I tried the college thing for like six months to a year and it didn't really work out for me. Like I changed, uh, um, uh, bachelor so many times that I I, I, I I just couldn't find it when I was doing uh, graphic design I wanted to sign my pieces and they didn't let me and I was like this is a work of art you know I'm gonna be a star and this is gonna be worth money don't be stupid let me sign it and give it to you and and the teacher didn't let me sign it so I never understood why till I worked with different designers on my own on my own cover arts and stuff but for that regard like when I told my mom that I didn't want to come back, she just, she was like, okay, well, well, don't, you don't have to, you don't have to come back if you don't want to. And, uh, but you just got to do what you got to do, but you got to do it well. And she, she was supportive. There was not a reaction. I don't, I don't remember if my dad had a reaction to it. I think he was a little bit disappointed and he was like, oh, what are you going to do now? Yeah. Well, okay. Drop out of college. Your life is going to go to waste. He must've had some sort of, uh, you know, like, um, outburst of sorts, but, uh, I don't remember it being uh, for too long or too big. They just uh, went with it. And I started working on my music. I remember moving, um, to the outskirts of town to record my, my first album with my producer. And so I didn't really get into it and they've never told me anything like, Oh, you should go to college. You're never going to uh, do anything of your life. Even when there are periods of my life where it's been slower than now, and they've never said that they never said that they they i don't think that they they uh they dimension the 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 achievements that i've got they i don't think that they realize how big or how much effort it took because they've never really been involved with the creative process they they're not those kinds of parents where they come to my music video shoots or they um come to the recording studio i wouldn't want them to come but (laughs) But and when I'm recording here at home, and they're here, they they don't get involved. Like sometimes I play them stuff, but they'll just say, oh, "Okay, it's cool," or "Oh, I get what you were doing with the vocals now." 
you know, or my mom just will uh, come by and say, you're not hitting the note. And I'm like, mom, you can't hear what I'm doing. Right? <laughs> <That> was, <laughs> yeah. Let me do me, mom. Let but, me do me. Okay. <laughs> yeah. But, my, and, you know, but they, they've never said that I'm not going to make it, but they don't, they, I don't think that they imagine how far it can go or how big it can get. And, you know, my sister who's in film, she's been having some very cool projects lately. And they're, they, they're starting to realize how, how far we can go. But my sister has always said that, you know, I'm going to go as far as I want because the only wall that I have in life is me. And she's always supported me with the music videos. So it's been really nice. Like, w w with regards to my father, my mother, and my sister, it's always been about uh, support. They've always had my back. And... And they've never, you know, questioned the way that I live my life. Some of my other family members do, but I don't really give a shit about that. You know? <laughs> well, I mean, I, like my whole thing is that, you know, if other people have something to say about whatever I do, they don't pay my rent. They don't pay my bills. They don't have my life. So really, they have no business in saying anything about what I do with, what, with my own time, with my own future, my own life. That's always exactly. been the bottom line for me, you know, and that's just because at the end of the day, when you tell people any of your problems, they're not there to help. They're only there to criticize. You know? Exactly. <laughs> that's always, that's always been my experience. So I always ask all my artists this, um, you know, I've been, I've been asking a lot of my guests on the show this, we're closing out 2019. It's almost the end of the year. We're only three weeks out from 2020. What are we expecting from Ian Garen in 2020? What's going on with you? Well, they're expecting, uh, everyone's expecting the tour. And when I say everyone, I'm not trying to sound stuck up. I'm just saying that I want to put together a great tour with the, complete with the horns and the violins and the whole band. You know, I care more about that. I want to give people the real music experience because I never understand some of the singers that I like most. I don't want to mention any names, but some of the singers that I like most, I see that they have pre-recorded vocals instead of bringing six beautiful people to sing along with them. So I want a choir. I want a, a, a band, not a big band, but a band. And I want the tour, the Irreplaceable Tour. I want to take it everywhere. And I want to tell people the stories. And I want, I, I want to do something like intimate where people can, can, you know, I can ask them stuff and we can, you know, bond through the songs. I, I'm planning the whole thing through. So the tour, definitely. And the single that I was talking about uh, beforehand, definitely. And, be, and I can assure you, when you hear it, you're going to say, yeah, I, I, I never thought about it that way. But, but yeah, de it's definitely something that we've all been grateful for. So, so yeah, so the single, essence, the tour. So in essence, in essence, expect the single and the tour in 2020 by Ian Guerin. Yeah, and, and expect the best because, you know, the best is always, always, always yet to come. Awesome. Well, Ian, thank you so much for being on the Xander Effect. I appreciate your time. I hope that uh, I get to actually, you know, uh, go to one of your performances here in Los Angeles. It would be great to see you uh, and interview you in person and uh, also maybe do kind of like, a, you know, kind of like record your, your live performance. That would be an amazing experience as well. And I'd love to have you back again very soon. Thank you so much. That'll be great. I'll sure to, I'll, I'll be sure to have you once that happens, once we have a date, that'll be exciting. We'll plan exciting things. And thank you so much for having me. And thanks to everyone that's listening to the show. 
you know, Irreplaceable was an experience to make, and I hope that everyone gets the best out of it. And what I mean that is make it your own. This is the album for everyone, like for, for everyone who's been through the hard times. This is an album that I made for them to know that, yeah, it gets hard, it gets nasty, it gets dark, but it also gets better. That's what I wanted to, the, the, that's what I wanted it, the message to be. So make the album your own for everyone listening to the show. Make the album your own. Put your own words into it. Make them your own experiences and grow from it. And thank you so much for having me. I had the loveliest of times. Great. And I, and I had a great time interviewing you as well, Ian. And again, I hope to see you very soon on the Xander Effect. And I, ho I look forward to your work in 2020. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Bye-bye. Right, Thanks so much, Ian, for being on the show. And I look forward to much more of your music in the upcoming 2020 year. In other entertainment news, another Power Rangers reboot is uh, slated and in negotiations to start filming uh, very soon. Now, as we all know, in 2017, uh, the there was the other Power Rangers uh, film that was directed by Dean Israelite, and it starred uh, Dacre Mon Montgomery, Naomi Scott, uh, CJ, RJ Seiler, Ludi Lynn, Becky G, Becky G, Elizabeth Banks, uh, Brian Cranston, and Bill Hader. Now, that movie did okay in the box office. A lot there was a lot of um, a lot of uh, negative reviews for it. Uh, I didn't. Um, I, I mean, I actually liked it. You know, I mean, you know, no. This is gonna be, this is gonna be uh, uh, something I hate to admit, but I actually, when I was a kid, I used to actually watch Power Rangers. I was in the seventh grade or so. I'm aging myself here. Uh, when the when the TV show was up and running, and I liked it, and I liked the way they did the, they did this uh, this version of it with this cast, um, and I was kind of looking forward to what might happen after uh, after the the movie ended because spoiler alert by the way, just in case you haven't seen it, at the end of, of the during the end credits, they actually call Tommy's name, which Tommy is the Green Ranger uh, from the original series, and I was thinking that they might continue on you know they left it a little bit for a sequel well that's not the case it never happened uh the sequel never was was done it never uh came about so now there's a new power rangers reboot in talks and this one will be directed uh it's actually it's actually moved it was in lionsgate now they moved over to paramount paramount will be the studio taking over for this uh reboot of the power rangers and they're right now in negotiations for uh jonathan entwistle which is he's the creator of the series the end of the effing world um he's in negotiations to direct the movie and this this one this reboot actually takes place with uh the the teenagers the ones that are supposedly the power rangers uh it has to do with that from what from what has been read and what has been said in the internet it looks like this one will have these teenagers go back in time to the 90s which would be cool because that's when the original series began and they need to they have to find a way home that's that's the premise of this new reboot so who knows maybe 
that would actually kind of be pretty cool because if you think about it, you know, they go back to where it all began and it would be cool to kind of see all the, you know, maybe some of the styles back then and, you know, see some of the, the Power Rangers of what they look like, maybe the original cast, you know, obviously minus uh, the Yellow Ranger, um, the actress that played the Yellow Ranger in the original series, she passed away. Um, but, and of course, uh, the, the Blue Ranger, he's the guy that played the, the care the actor that played the Blue Ranger, he's not too happy with uh with um with how the series treated him as well so but you never know i mean they might be able to talk him to come back along with the other original cast and that would be pretty cool to go ahead and see them all back together again in this new reboot of the power rangers so we'll see what happens they're still in talks nothing is actually set in stone there is no shoot date there is no start date nothing yet they're barely negotiating with ant whistle to go ahead and come on board to direct this thing so we'll see what else happens happens in the upcoming months who knows maybe they might actually say something towards the end of 2020 you never know what the studios in other entertainment news i had another opportunity to interview a comedian slash uh former model well slash currently current model um slash actress slash mom uh you know stand-up comic eugenia kuzmina and uh, she had she the way she started modeling was very interesting at an extremely young age and well you don't have to take my word for it go ahead and check out the interview Joining me on the Xander Effect, I have the lovely Eugenia Kuzmina. Did, did I pronounce your last name right? Yeah, you're too, like you're totally Russian. You know, you say, <laughs> and I mean, where <laughs> Kuzmina? So we're going ahead and talk Russian. <laughs> very good. Yeah. Well, thank you very much. Well, um, so I've seen a lot, a few of your stand-ups on YouTube, and you're freaking hilarious. Um, but before we get to the stand-up portion of it, you were a model to begin with. You started out in modeling, mm -hmm. and then you went into comedy. Am I right? Yeah, yeah. You know, I'm a triple threat: a model, a comedian, and a parent. Which oh. Perfect combination. <laughs> that is a perfect combination. You know, I mean, many women can't, you know, pull the modeling comedian and be a mom at the same time, but yeah. you're doing it. So that's a good thing. So did yeah. you, did you get started? Um, like at what age did you get started in modeling exactly? It's funny. I got started in the hospital when I was delivered, literally <laughs> <laughs> without my consent, but they took me, uh, they took me to photograph for some Russian paper and they didn't even tell my mom. So she basically like lost it because in Russia, they separate the babies and the moms for like a week and you stay in the hospital, which is like a very different process. Wow. You know? <laughs> They're like, you just go your way. And then they took me for a photo shoot. And I, you know, my mom was like, where's my child? <laughs> <laughs> That's how I got started, you know, and then like it was very hard to, you know, go back from there, I guess. Wow. So they already knew that, okay, this baby's going to be a model. They already like predestined you from the very beginning. I know. I had no choice. You know, it's not like I could talk. Wow. Wow. That's amazing. So since then, you just kept on modeling after that and kept on going and going? You know, it's funny because I was making more money as a model when I was 13 than my dad, who was a nuclear scientist. So, wow. I think, yeah, it was more like a, that was my motivation. It wasn't very like glamorous profession or anything. But, you know, the companies like Coca-Cola and L'Oreal, they started coming to Russia and they had all these amazing contracts. And that was a great way, you know, 
for us to to have a life and not like living food lines and stuff like that. Wow, that's incredible. So, yeah. I mean, did you is but the, is that like what you wanted to do? Obviously, modeling wasn't the like it was something that was kind of put on you, but it wasn't I I you know, obviously you went into comedy. So, is that something that you wanted to do? It's more more comedy or is there something else that you wanted to do besides modeling? Uh, you know, I, I think it was really hard to decide in Russia in that time because they weren't really like, oh, what do you want to do with your life? Like a everybody from my class, they were becoming a lawyer, basically, which is weird because in Russia at like 90s, there was no law whatsoever. And you know, I don't know. Um, but yeah, especially if you want to do creative artistic pursuit, there wasn't really an avenue. It's usually a very small community of, you know, people who like generations of like actors or comedians. And I wasn't really funny, you know, I would never say that, like, I would be thinking like, oh, I could do comedy and, you know, earn a living. I love drinking vodka. <laughs> you know, Americans mix vodka and orange juice, but I think if you mix vodka and juice, it has to be carrot juice. The drunker you get, the better you see. <laughs> <laughs> always ask me, who do you like in this business? And like some people say Brad Pitt, some people say they like Matthew McConaughey, and I always say, I love cocaine. <laughs> I love cocaine. <laughs> Except the name is so confusing. Like. The first time I saw it, I asked the guy at the party what it was, and he said, blow. So I did. And boy, was he pissed. Living at that time, uh, and modeling also, you know, I never thought about it. It's not a profession that you choose. There was never any kind of like show business in Russia or example, or like magazines were just starting out. There wasn't even Vogue or anything. Um, so yeah, I just, you know, got by accident, but I always knew that I wanted to do creative pursuits. I actually cut like my uniforms, Russian uniforms into bikinis, which I had to pay for um, later apologizing to, you know, to, to our government. Uh, <laughs> so yeah, I think I was always creative, but I never knew that one day I would do comedy. It just kind of happened. Wow. And, and but your, your real, like the, your real modeling career really took off when you appeared on the cover of Glamour. Yeah, I think that time. And also I was very lucky to have amazing agents and, you know, my team around me, Natalie Crosscott in, in Paris, uh, who worked for Elite Model Look. I don't know you guys are familiar in the show it's very modeling specific um, so yeah they they really took care of me and you know truly really depends on your agents and they sent me i think to the right designers and i was very lucky i would say you know there's so many beautiful women as you said you know all over the world and i was just very lucky to, to work with amazing um, creative people in this business yeah well that's really cool so so you went from modeling to comedy or was the acting because i know that you've also you're also an actress did did it was it modeling acting then comedy or was it modeling comedy acting or was it modeling at comedy <laughs> if we could combine those two together <laughs> no it was first modeling and then it was parenting and then everything <laughs> <laughs> well parenting is comedy in and of itself so i guess you're already on your way 
Yeah, exactly. So I think after parenting, I just realized that life is a comedy. (laughs) (laughs) um, I got into acting, you know, also kind of by accident because, you know, I never knew that I could do that because there's not a lot of very successful Russian actors. It's very limited, you know, and I'm very applauding Hollywood diversity, but I think it still uh, needs to grow. So, you know, for Russians, it's really limited, but I was lucky to just be in LA because my husband is based here. He's a producer and just be surrounded by, you know, creative people and somebody hired me for a film. Um, so I was, I was just lucky to get into that and get very limited amount of roles, which are, you know, like Russian gold diggers and things like that. Um, and then from that, I was doing a film with Woody Allen and John Titor and um, I knew that Woody is doing comedy and I kind of decided to try that. So yeah, that's wow, wow. So you pretty much just like dove into the Hollywood scene, you know, straight from Russia to LA. I know. I was in Cannes first time, and I actually crushed Angelina Jolie party because I didn't know that like it's not okay to crush Hollywood party. (laughs) Yeah, I think they frown on that a little bit here and there, but you know, usually models get away with it a little bit more. I don't know how I did get away, but you know they they were so nice and you know they invited us to this uh, ocean i think 12 or 13 party in Cannes when it was premiering and i had no idea who these people are and you know i never had a crush on like what celebrities we don't have that culture in russia as much um so i just invited all of my friends and we totally came and drank all their champagne and you know took all the pictures and then got escorted by security because that <laughs> That's awesome. That sounds now. That sounds like a hell of a party right there. It's <laughs> a Hollywood lending, you know. Well, that's cool. Well, I mean, you know, besides besides that, I mean, you know, going back to into the comedy thing. I mean, how did how did you like dive into that? You know, I mean, how did you actually get into comedy? Decide, hey, you know what? I'm good at this. Let me go ahead and give it a shot. Well, it's funny because, you know, I really wanted to do theater or stage because I, I mean, it's, I was serious. Like when you start acting, you've given the opportunities to do some roles. You don't just come from modeling. It's a skill, you know, you have to know how to talk to people. You, you have to know how to play roles. And I think it's impossible to do it without having some theater experience, you know, if you're serious about the job. So I was looking for Russian roles and it's very limited. So after doing Fading Gigolo, I, you know, like, Woody, I knew that he was doing stand-up and I thought, okay, I can just stand up. And I researched uh, writers because English is my third language. So obviously writing jokes is not something that comes easy. Mm-hmm. Um, and I found uh, Jerry Corley, who used to write for uh, David Letterman, amazing writer, but then he had five kids and kind of had to settle down a little bit, but he's so generous and helps a lot of comedians and uh, you know, wrote him an email and we met and he's like, I don't wanna spend time with some model who's like, doesn't even talk for a living. Like, what am I gonna do? Yeah. But yeah. we exchanged a few emails and he's like, okay, maybe I can do something. You're a little bit weird. <laughs> and we started talking about that and I figured it's more than like therapy. You know, It's more like than therapy and it's really interesting he really taught me what makes something funny what is is like a good way to tell a story there's actually a rule like few rules to that when you're beginning and then you can break them it's kind of like being a musician and writing your music and listening to that and it's you know then you figure out what is funny actually and bring your personality to that Um, got a manager right away he's like 
You know, I think models are dumb and actors insecure. And I was like, I don't know what it means. And I'm scared to find out. <laughs> so yeah, no problem in Sam. Um, you know, you probably have a hard time understanding what I'm saying. English is my third language, and I'm on my fourth glass of wine, or champagne. <laughs> it's true, not a joke, you know. As a Russian, I love drinking. It's in my DNA. It's also in my closet. <laughs> so actually, I feel very at home here. <laughs> you know, I call it a happy hour. <laughs> My husband calls it an open bar. <laughs> but I have a lot of happy hours there, especially as a mom of three or four children. <laughs> right, I mean, seriously. <laughs> I can't remember, not because I'm a bad mom, because I'm really bad at fun. <laughs> How was your first experience getting on stage? I mean, yeah, granted that you're, you're already used to being on stage as is as a model and everything, but this is a totally different, you know, totally, completely different um, animal when you're up on stage trying to make people laugh as opposed to the, trying to make people look at you and what you're wearing. Um, how was that experience like when you first got on stage and decided and, and you know, they announced your name and you're up there? I mean, what, what were you feeling at that time? I mean, I would, I would like compare this experience if they give you an airplane and say like, hey, you can fly, you know? <laughs> <laughs> I'm out there and I have no idea what's happening right now, but I better be in charge. Um, you know, I think being a comedian is very different because it's all about your point of view and uh, your conversation with the audience and the audience have to trust you. So you really, like, they can see your confidence or if you're scared, they can feel that too. It's really like a, you know, it, conversation between you and the audience first time i didn't know what I, the hell i was doing sorry i said something hell no <laughs> i can't say that um you can actually you're you're good you can easily say that <laughs> you're fine it's fine it's okay i was like i'm not gonna curse um <laughs> but uh, yeah i didn't know what i was doing i was just kind of you know swimming for the first time i didn't have any expectations i think that helps when you have no expectations uh, and second time was terrible because I had so much expectations. The first time went amazing. You know, it's, it's really first time. And the second time, I think I had a lot of uh, audience who, was, uh, who were in the business. So they wouldn't laugh at something because they see shows all the time, you know, like it's, it's a very hard audience to, to converse with. That must have been and, even more nerve wracking. Like when they weren't laughing, you're like, oh, oh my God. <laughs> Well, it was terrifying, uh, you know, really like, you know, I was so like walk of shame, I would call that. But, but, was, but, it, but, but was it like, was it like after you got off stage, they looked at you like, that was really funny. We kind of, yeah, yeah, you know, it was like, <laughs> I think we both shared the same feelings after the show. But, you know, I think for any comedian that happens, like it's just unavoidable, whatever, whenever you start that. And I think what's important is just to, to get through that experience and like get on stage next time, you know, next time and next time. And then you go on tours and you, you have very different audiences like in LA or in Chicago or New York. And maybe your first show in New York would bomb again because it's a different audience and you know, you're not used to that. Or like a smaller club where these people have different point of view, you know? So every time it's just, 
figuring that it out and working on your material and uh, you know being open to new experiences and really trying to connect so it's like a learning experience just a learning experience over and over again and for comedians again it's very difficult to make people laugh but in your situation, your case, I gotta ask: Have you ever actually bombed on stage? Like, and and yeah. it, and if like, and since you have, I mean, how how is that experience for you? Like, like, I mean, how crazy is that? Like, how disconcerting is that for you sometimes? It's terrible. Like, if you don't know how to recover, but I know how to recover. <laughs> you know, you can just. I think the way to recover is just to be present in the moment and acknowledge that you suck in the moment or like, you know, and then people laugh at that because I think it's all about like relating to each other, you know, so it's not being like above the audience or teaching the audience or like, you know, or like anything else, you know, you just try to be present in the moment and relating and people can relate to whatever you feel now. And if, if it's terrible and if you acknowledge that it's terrible, people would laugh at that because you know, that's what they feel probably too. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm pretty sure. And speaking of relating, many comedians go ahead and use their real life uh, experiences on stage. Is that, is that the same case for you as well? Absolutely. You know, I think it's a little bit of putting on top of that, like with my imagination, but I always start basing something on my experiences. And then, you know, I can add things and go different directions and, you know, create characters, but it's absolutely based on some kind of experience that you maybe don't want to share specifically in social situations. And, you, you know, you learn by yourself and, you know, from that. You know, like I said, you're, you're still doing uh, comedy. You're still doing shows and everything. Um, what about acting? Going back to acting for a second. Like, are you coming? Are you doing any new movies at, you know, this year? Are you coming out in anything in 2020? What's what's I, I asked all my guests this because seeing as we're getting towards the end of the year, what's mm -hmm. you know, how was 2019 for you and how is 2020 going to be for you? Oh my God, it was so amazing. You know, I could never expect what really happened this year, but I was so lucky. First of all, I'm currently promoting Guy Ritchie film, which is called The Gentleman. Oh, wow. It's out, I think, January or February. So I'm going to Russia to promote it first time in like 10 years. I'm really excited about that. It's a fantastic film, you know, with a fantastic cast. I have a cameo in that with Michelle Dockery. And there's like Matthew McConaughey, Hugh Grant, um, you know, um, a lot of actors like it's it's just a dream to work with such a director he's one of my favorites and you know just to be on set with him was fantastic so i hope you guys watch it um very gangster and things like that oh, guy but rich is one of my favorites guy rich is one of my favorites like one of a, one of my favorite movies of his was snatch so yeah, I 
yeah, it's I, one of, he's, he's one of my favorites. Yeah, I hope like this will really top like, you know, everybody's expectations because it, the script was fantastic. The actors were amazing. Everybody was like ready on set, you know, and, and Guy is, is an incredible director, just technically and, you know, working with a big crew, big sets. It was fun to be in, you know, in London to shoot there. So that was fun. I also um, am just finishing TV series. It's a mini series with Dominic Cooper. Uh, and it's called Spy City, of course, you know, Russian spy, play a really bad person who kills some main characters. Oh, nice. <laughs> but <laughs> watch out. Um, so that was super fun. We shot in Prague, you know, it was back and forth, amazing team. Um, you know, Dominic, just like it, it seemed to dream with, you know, it was very fun this year to really have a team who like collaborates in projects, who's open to change the script, to improvise, to make the story, you know, most authentic and look better. Um, and they had to break a glass over my head, which I never did in stunts and Dominic never did in that. So it oh, was, wow. I, I didn't know they make it out of sugar, like all the glass that you see broken. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah it was interesting. Um, and also I did, I had a main role with Eric Roberts in the film, which is a drama, and I wasn't playing a Russian girl of the oldest professional spy or anything else. I was actually a mom. So I think that was, for me personally, one of my biggest accomplishments, just to play a diverse role and more complex. And I had to cry for like 12 days straight, which <laughs> was very interesting. Oh, uh, wow. That must have been very difficult. I, I mean, well, for Russians, you know, it's not so hard. <laughs> <laughs> You're like, we cry all the time over there. It's cold. <laughs> yes. So that's the only thing I had to think about. Um, so that was fun. And I, I have really fun. I mean, I did a horror film too, which is in mm. festivals right now. Um, and, uh, you know, it's a French production. So it was really, really fun to do the Coward in Blood. And next year, I already have scheduled uh, one romantic comedy, uh, which we're shooting in April. And it's amazing cast. I don't think I can share it yet, but... You know, it's something fun, and I had to sing for that, and um, have a few other projects. One, oh, so, so you also sing? Yes, I have to. Well, I don't sing, but I will sing. <laughs> <laughs> You're like, I don't, but I'll make it happen one way or another. I swear. <laughs> I know exactly. This is my biggest fear, actually, singing. You know, that's that's like a yeah, that's a long discussion. But you know, I'm gonna go and work with a coach and sing <laughs> well that's cool i mean you're like you're you're pretty much hitting all facets of the entertainment industry i mean you got modeling already out of the way you got acting out of the way you got comedy out of the way and now you're entering into the singing world that's something that's just going to be all over the place you're just going to be like a multi-threat woman and you're a mom that's five right there <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this is like the yeah. This is why. Like, if you can be a parent, I think you can do whatever you want. After that, because that's the hardest skill. <laughs> that is that that is definitely the hardest skill. So, um, now that you're now that you have all that's going on, back to comedy again. What shows do you have coming up? What shows do you have right now? What's what's happening right now with your with your comedy? Okay, so I just got back from Miami. I hosted Palm Beach Film Festival, which was during Art Basel. It was a lot of fun, you know, really interesting. Uh, got back yesterday. And then I, for upcoming shows, I have a comedy uh, store show, uh, the comedy store in Hollywood. I have actually 10 complimentary tickets. So if you guys come uh, on January 3rd, 8 p.m., Original Room, hosted by Vargas, just mention my name at the door and um, you can get in and watch the show. 
So it's really fun. We're on tour currently. I have a group that's called Nobody's Funny Tour. <laughs> the worst name. <laughs> it just came up. Uh, we're probably going to go to Chicago. We've been to Palo Alto and we'll come back. Um, so our plan to go to Chicago this year uh, and New York and maybe a few other places. So yeah, you know, it's, it's coming and going. But I'm doing pretty much... Uh, comedy store once a month and then other few clubs sometimes laugh factory uh, sometimes improv um, you know here and there and it, it depends it depends on the schedule nice nice so well we we got that what are your plans for christmas and new year's what's going on for the family what's happening uh, sleeping <laughs> <laughs> it's my birthday december 25 oh wow well happy early birthday to you no, this guy Jesus, you know, it's like <laughs> no competition with him. So that's you know. that's that's the way a lot of Catholics see it. So a lot of Christians see it. Look at this way: you get two presents. You get two presents. You get a birthday and you get a Christmas present. So you're good. No, I get one present usually. You know, <laughs> it's in bulk. It's we give it to you in bulk. You're like, here, it's both. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. But it's, it's fine. I get a lot of love, you know, from people celebrating and being in a cheery mood. So th that's kind of a present. Um, so I think we're probably going to go to Florida because my kids are into sports and they play in, in tennis and we go to IMG Academy. So we're probably going to do that. Everything for the family. Beautiful. Well, you know what, Eugenia, thank you so much for being on the Xander Effect and sharing with us, you know, your life story, what's going on and everything past, present and future. Love having you on the show. Um, I'm, I'm hoping that, you know, I'm able to go ahead and see one of your shows live and maybe interview you yeah. after your show. That would be a lot of fun to see that. And, you, you know, hell, even maybe even on set, you know, if one of your one of your uh, acting uh, one of your acting things that you're doing, I'd love to be on set, maybe interviewing with you on set and just following up with you on, in this coming 2020 and seeing what you got going on. That's great. Yeah, I'm looking forward to, you know, what's going on with you and maybe I can interview you. <laughs> I'm, I'm always here. I'm always here. So, well, Eugenia Kuzmina, thank you so much again for being on The Xander Effect. And I hope to see you very soon. Happy holidays to you and your family. Happy holidays, Xander Effect audience. And thank you so much. Do svidanya. Do svidanya. That's Vidanya, Eugenia. Thank you very much for being on the Xander Effect. Looking forward to having you again very soon. In sports, um, former NBA Commissioner David Stern uh, suffered a stroke uh, uh, earlier this week, and it was very—it was something that was a very scary situation for his family. Uh, today, he underwent—he underwent emergency brain surgery, and so far, the NBA hasn't released his uh, his condition yet. But the 77-year-old was having lunch, uh, actually, uh, not too far away from NBA headquarters, when he collapsed uh, in the middle of lunch and he was rushed to Mount St. Sinai St. Luke's Hospital um, for, for a brain hemorrhage. So right now, as it stands, uh, nobody really knows how he's doing. Uh, David Stern served with the NBA as commissioner for many years. Uh, he, uh, he recently retired and, uh, you know, and handed over the reins to a brand new commissioner. Um, 
the with these types of hemorrhages they're very very they're very uh tricky they're very tricky and i know this because i've i've i've, I've been through something similar with uh with family members and stuff and the only thing i can say is that all the family can do is just wait and pray that uh you know he recovers in time i'm sure that he's getting the best medical attention possible so we'll see in the upcoming days hopefully this uh emergency brain surgery went well hopefully it actually uh you know it, it um it heals him and uh i wish uh him a speedy recovery and i wish i'm sending well thoughts to the family of uh david stern uh and i hope that he gets well very soon in other sports news aew and nxt finally tie it up in the wednesday night wars the rating wars they finally had they finally tied each other up now I've been watching AEW sporadically because they had a really good jump start against NXT, against WWE. Their athletes are amazing. The athleticism of the wrestlers are is are phenomenal. They, they're doing moves that I'm just like, what in the blue hell is this about? But it just seems that they kind of fizzled away a little bit. And it just, I don't know, it doesn't seem like... It doesn't seem like it's it's you know they're they're they need to catch momentum in order to catch up against such a huge monster like WWE. And as it stands, they're a brand new brand, a brand new company, and you need to step it up a little bit more. This week they had the Young Bucks beat the Proud and the Powerful for the number one contendership at their next pay-per-view. And they also had, they opened the show with uh with Chris Jericho offering John Moxley to join his faction. Now that's all well and fine, but I mean, here's NXT filled with brand new wrestlers that had a slow start, but they're starting to pick it up, especially after the Survivor Series where they combined forces with DX. That was a huge ratings pop for the show, and it showcased a lot of brand new talent that is definitely you know catching the eyes of a lot of wrestling fans and viewers. So AEW, you need to step it up, man, because right now you're being tied that's not what a new company wants they want to be above the others all the time so AEW needs to step it up they need to create some sort of controversy something that's going to keep those asses in those seats and keep on watching every single Wednesday night they knew this coming into the Wednesday Wars and Vince McMahon he takes no prisoners he takes none we know this because he put WCW out of business well Technically, WCW put themselves out of business, but that's beside the point. I mean, there there was Vincent Mann hammering away to make sure he takes the scraps, and he took it. So AEW needs to make sure they don't wind up in the same place as TNA and WCW so such or so early on in the show's career, in the show's birth. We'll see what happens in the next coming weeks, but here's hoping that AEW starts picking it up a little bit more. In video game news, the Game Awards uh, happened, and at the Game Awards, Microsoft decided to unveil the name and what the console of the new uh, Project Scarlet Xbox will be at the end of 2020. The new name of the of Project Scarlet is Xbox Series X. That's going to be the brand new name of the new Xbox console, which is which is uh, estimated that it will come if it comes out at the end during the holiday season of 2020. 
And along with the name, they also, again, they also described the console, but they also gave us a look at the, the, the control. Looks like the controllers that are going to be used for this are going to be very small controllers. They're going to be smaller than the controllers of the Xbox One, and they're going to have a share button, which basically what that does is that you push it and you're able to do a screen capture or a video capture while you're playing the game. Now, currently, the way it goes is that you have to actually push the big uh, the big uh, uh, Xbox uh, button at the very top of your controller and then a menu pops up and you have to choose to go ahead and get the last capture and all stuff. It's kind of a pain in a sense. So that's pretty cool that they're adding this share option on the new Xbox console. Uh, another thing that they are adding are two new games that are going to be coming with or that are going to be uh, released along with the Xbox uh, Series X and those two games are, the, are Halo Infinite and Hell's Blade uh, Senua's Sacrifice. Those are the two games that are going to be slated to join in with the release of the new Xbox Series X that comes out at the end of 2020 next year. I'm excited for it. Let's see what other surprises Xbox and Microsoft have in the, in the upcoming months for this new Xbox Series X. In other Video game news, Red Dead Redemption 2's new update, the Moonshiners update, was just released. It's a big update. It's a big one. It's got you doing a bunch of different things. It's got you basically, you know, running moonshine for for a new character that a new character that basically has five missions for you. These missions basically include uh, it's 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 you what you do is is you're helping your mentor Maggie Fike uh, uh, go ahead and deliver moonshine in this, but you also get to buy properties to go ahead and make your moonshine business. Obviously, this uh, this new update also has uh, a new a new um, a new uh, outlaws pass that you have to purchase for forty gold, which is ridiculous. Ridiculous, in my opinion. I mean, they're looking for, they're majorly, like Rockstar is majorly looking for more money to be shed through, which really irritates me because you spend enough money on this. Come on, Rockstar. You're, you're becoming like, they're, they're becoming way too, uh, way too, uh, greedy when it comes to this money. But anyways, aside from my little rant from that, it includes it includes that includes uh, those that have already had the outlaws pass prior to this one, you know, from the last update, they get a couple of free things. Twitch prime members also get free stuff as well. So this update is promises to be a really big update or actually, I'm sorry, it doesn't promise. It is a really big update. Uh, again, you get five missions, five story missions uh, that help the mentor Maggie Fike. And uh, you also get outside story missions for bootleggers eventually all this needs culminates in creating your very own speakeasy which is something that would be really cool that's really cool for a lot of gamers to make a little extra cash but if this is anything like the last update where you decided to go ahead and become a trader and there's no animals around to go ahead and hunt in order to actually become a, a good trader then you know what, Rockstar? You're screwing up big time because you're giving us something, you're taking something away and making it harder. You need to fix the problems that are present right now, which is that little issue with the animals. I don't know if, if it's... If, if you're keeping it out of there on purpose or if you're doing it because you just don't know how to fix the problem. But one thing is for sure, you need to fix it because it's ridiculous. How, is, how else are people supposed to make money? Let me ask you that. 
<laughs> I have no idea, but we'll see how how well this uh, new update come th this update uh, plays out in the upcoming weeks, and we'll see what other new updates Red Dead Redemption 2 will have for us gamers. Thank you so much for watching The Xander Effect. I leave you now with Ian Guerin's brand new music video, Free Time. We'll see you next time. this episode of the Xander Effect. Now, if you like this video or any of my other videos, here's a couple right here. See, right here, right here. Go ahead and click on those to view some of my past videos and make sure to subscribe because it's awesome. See you next time on the Xander Effect. Also, don't forget to follow me on Twitter and Instagram.